joint. Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning. I want to start out by uh, just thanking Andy and Kyle. I, I thought just an incredible communion. One of the things that, uh, amen, that's definitely worth clapping about. It, I, it gets me excited to see the next generation, you know, getting ready to take that baton, amen. Yeah, I, I appreciate the uh, scripture that Kyle used there today. And if you continue a little bit further along in the passage, it says, God's incomparable riches expressing kindness to us through Christ. You know, in light of uh, the series that we've been doing this past month, it's amazing when you really take the time to think about what Jesus has done for us personally, what God did for us personally through Christ, it, it never ceases when I take the time to think about it, to boggle my mind, the extremes God was willing to go to for each and every one of us individually. Amen? You know, I uh, do have something. I want to start out with a little bit of announcement here on the front side, and then we'll uh, get into our series as we uh, continue here today. But we've got a little production coming up called Night at the Nativity. You guys know the date that that's taking place on? December 14th. Uh, I've been really encouraged. Some of the different places, you pop into different places that have uh, the bulletin boards. And uh, I'm seeing our posters around town, which is kind of cool. Now, I'm, I'm a little disappointed in the Redondo Union kids, none of ours, mind you. But uh, I put the poster up there at that Starbucks on a couple of occasions, and I guess because it says Miracosta on it, the poster disappears within, literally it was within an hour. Because the Craigs had come through a little bit after I put it in, I said, Ryan, I go, yeah, did you see the poster? He goes, what poster? Needless to say, anyway. But we are on the verge of a very unique opportunity here, not just in the coastal LA region, but more specifically here in South Bay, and then... This is the theater that it's going to be taking place in. And I know a lot of you have seen Night at the Museum. Uh, I, I'm grateful for having the ability to be a part of this more so than anything else, watching Gina Stickley operate in her environment, her turf. And uh, the woman is absolutely visionary. I cannot believe how detail-oriented she is. But the, the deal behind all this is... This is kind of a, not the usual way of getting the community on out to meet our church, our people, our family. And I can't put enough emphasis on how you really want to take advantage of this opportunity, get friends, neighbors, coworkers, uh, any of the vendors that you go to, on out to this production. Uh, we've got two shows, so we have the opportunity to have an impact on 3,000 people. During this period of time, we've got professional actors. There's actors who have been on Broadway. And then there's, you know, the, the not-so-professional of the likes of myself. Uh, and a number of you are going to be extras in it. it it's going to be a lot of fun. But we've got people coming from the San Gabriel Valley to see it. Uh, we've got some people coming from Ventura to see it. Uh, it's something that just gives us the opportunity to really be a light through our relationships as we get people here. So with that, real quick trailer, and then we'll get into the message. are not always as they seem. Whatever you are, please don't hurt us. We'll do whatever you want. One night at the mall. Shop the halls! We'll change this family's life forever. Mommy, why does Daddy look so sad? Join us for this fun family comedy. Night at the Nativity. 
Christmas Day! This is a somewhat outrageous Christmas play purpose for outreach to the community as well as fun for the church family. It's not intended to be a complete representation of the gospel message. Please refer to Luke 2, 1 through 20 for the actual inspired nativity story. Purchase tickets at coastallightchurch.com. Prices of the will be more expensive, so it's recommended that you plan ahead and order online. So there you go. Uh, if you need additional invitations to that, we've got them up front. But uh, again, let's really uh, take advantage of this opportunity. You'll get to see Gina push me uh, in ways unimaginable as far as the actual character stretch is going to take place in this production. So anyway, you guys ready here for the holidays? Yeah, that may be a good thing, depending upon what you're thinking about at this stage in the game. But uh, how about Black Friday? Black Saturday, Black Sunday, Black Monday. I mean, it's like everything. They've just kind of, you know, we even have, what is it, Midnight? Some places are actually open on Thanksgiving, trying to get the jump on things. And, you know, and oh, hopefully that through what we've been through the last few weeks, there's a greater degree of contentment, and you're ready to be content. You know, the, the, the degree the, of stress that the media can put on us as to what we feel like we need to have or what we need to provide and what goes under the tree and all these different things, uh, it's just kind of crazy. Now, we've had a number of, uh, just kind of walking back through what we've covered so far, and keep in mind tonight, or today, primary text will be coming out of Luke 12. We have Brian Craig kick things off with, you can't take it with you. We have Marco do the last couple, you only live once, what goes around comes around, and I appreciated a couple of the things that he talked about, and what, what goes around comes around, the contrast between gold fever, which, you know, it goes back to the 1800s and the whole situation with California, to really the fever we want to catch, which is generous fever. And, you know, the, how the longings of the wicked come to nothing. So we had an opportunity to look at a lot of the wisdom uh, scriptures from Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes. I mean, there's been a lot of great direction. But I, I actually, I, I, initially when I was given this particular title, I wasn't super fired up about the particular verse that I ended up with. And, it's amazing, though, by spending the time going through it, how it kind of opened my eyes to some things that I've missed. So with that, the title of today's message is, The Best Things in Life Are Free. Again, the best things in life are free. And it's one of those things where, you know, you, you maybe even have said it. You sort of kind of believe it, but is it something that we're actually living? You know, I, I would say a lot of the time for me, the answer to that question or just the acknowledgement of that was No. You know, for me, when I was young, it was always about the latest and greatest cars, um, moving on up the corporate ladder, uh, just, you know, more. And, and how unfulfilling it was. Uh, climbing the corporate ladder was interesting in that what I found is it was more like an extension ladder. You, you push it on out, you get to the top, and it's like, where the heck did that next set of 10 rungs come from? You know, you get to the top, and it's just, you're never satisfied. It's kind of like Chinese food or, or soda versus water. It doesn't get the job done. I mean, literally, this is not an exaggeration. I can sit down to Chinese food 15 minutes later. I'm like, it was like 15 minutes ago. I'm starving. And that's really how unfulfilling stuff is. You know, Ben Crosby has a song for those. We got any uh, Ben Crosby fans from back in the day? Uh, how many of you don't know who Ben Crosby is? This is what's going to be scary. We have, that many of you actually know who Ben Crosby is? I am absolutely blown away. 
do not know. How many of you, maybe I'm talking too fast, how many of you do not know who Bing Crosby is? Okay. I'm still surprised it's not a larger amount than that, but he was known as a crooner back in the day. You know, he, Christmas songs in the malls, in the stores, he was everywhere. But he does have, uh, there's a song that he did, he's not the original, the other one goes back to 1928, and I didn't even know who the heck he was, so I'm not even, I don't even remember his name. But anyway, these are the lyrics from the song. He says, the moon belongs to everyone. The best things in life are free. The stars belong to everyone. They gleam there for you and me. The flowers in spring, the robins that sing, the sunbeams that shine, they're yours and they're mine. And love can come to everyone, so we will always be. You know, on that note, Monday, November 17th, I celebrated with my incredible wife, Jacqueline, 30 years of marriage. Which I can't even spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. She made a statement that's actually held true for her for a couple of years, but it actually applies to me now that I've been married more than half of my life. It's wow. a long time. I, you know, I'm 56, for those of you that, uh, those inquiring minds out there that may want to know. But, you know, God is phenomenal, and I'm so grateful for what has been done for me through Christ. And I know for a fact I would not be married to this woman today. <laughs> you know, contentment, as we'll see here, is not the fulfillment of what we want, rather the appreciation of what we have. You know, again, I've already alluded to the fact that, you know, this is something I can struggle with from time to time. And it's interesting. I don't usually want for a lot. But, you know, uh, there's this uh, new vehicle that's come out. <laughs> and, you know, it's real easy to kind of walk down the road on this. And then in light of cars, this thing is relatively inexpensive. I, I was so entertaining the idea, I actually went onto the website and built what I was looking for. Very, very basic. You know, just kind of see how it would price out. Have any of you seen the new Polaris Slingshot? Okay, for those of you with smartphones, put them down. You don't need to check it out right now, okay? You can check it out after service. This thing is amazing! And uh, how many of you are familiar with the T-Rex? It's a three-wheel car, bike kind of thing. No, not the dinosaur. Oh my gosh, I'm telling you. I'm having issues up here today already. I guess there's, I need to be a lot clearer. Not the dinosaur, not Tyrannosaurus Rex. I was talking about a motor vehicle. This is another motor vehicle. Anyway, T-Rex goes for about 75 grand. The Polaris will do pretty much what the T-Rex will do for about 20 grand. You know, I've toyed with the motorcycle I did, and my wife shut it down, and Henry shut it down, and you know, I, I get that. But this has got three wheels, it's got a cage, you know, it's, anyway. Enough digression on that. And then the other thing was, we were in Dallas last week, and uh, you know, it's pretty amazing. I don't think we realize how large our region is, because I haven't. Um, we are either the fifth or the sixth largest church coastal LA in the movement. Dallas, there are all their different churches there in Dallas, or actually in Texas, come in at around 1,050. So that's about the size of our region. And we, we had the opportunity, uh, we went out there to celebrate our birthday. Jackie got to uh, really experience Christmas on a whole nother level. For those of you who've been, my, been to our house, I'm sure you're wondering yourselves, how could that be? Because it looks like everything that's ever been sold is in our house come Christmas time. 
But uh, the, we were invited out to speak and then do their staff meeting on uh, Monday. And I, I have to say, I, I wasn't content. We've got a blowaway staff, but walking in, they have as t twice as many people on paid staff as we do in Coastal. Yeah, I, I'd have to say I was a little envious. And it was, it was not by chance, I don't think that it, this was orchestrated in such a way for me to work on my own personal issues as I put this together. I'm gonna go through uh, uh, Philippians 4, 10 through 13, and just kind of thinking through this whole concept of the best things in life are free. You know, so these are some of the key ones there on the left. You know, hugs, smiles, friends, kisses, family, sleep, love, laughter, good memories. I don't see food on there, so uh, somebody was a little lax in that. Well, I guess food's not free. There you go. <laughs> and then, uh, it's, this is interesting. This is a Chanel ad a number of years back. The best things in life are free. The second best are expensive. And really, in a lot of ways, this is what the media constantly pushes at us. This is a nice little way of slipping in the back door. It's like, yeah, the best thing is life is free. But the reality of it is, the second best are expensive. And step on up, get online, go to the mall, go to the store, go wherever it is to have those needs met. Philippians 4, verse 10, I so appreciate the Apostle Paul. And just, he's the embodiment of what it means to be content. He says here in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. I want verse 13 to be my banner. I want verse 13 to be the thing that resonates people when they think of Steve Marici. And that the secret to contentment comes through Christ and really believing that, being willing to engage with God no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances are, that I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, as we see with Paul, contentment, and this thing is kind of cool about this, with Paul, it wasn't self-sufficiency. You know, the Greeks believed that that was the case. The Stoics would define contentment as being self-sufficient. And, you know, and that's who I was as a young man before I became a Christian. It was all about me, what I did, self-made man, all of my accomplishments, and not realizing where any of that came from or giving credit to where any of that came from. Paul understood that contentment is something that's derived from Christ's sufficiency. He said he learned the secret. Have you learned the secret? You know, when I think of those who have battled with being content, again, Paul is the one that won this battle. He's the embodiment of contentment. There's a commentary written by Stephen Cole, and this is what he has to say about this passage in Philippians 4, verse 10. It says, a man who sits in prison because of corrupt officials awaiting possible execution over false charges tells us how to find contentment. The answer lies buried in the midst of a thank you note. The Philippian church has sent a financial gift to Paul the prisoner he wants to express his heartfelt thanks, but at the same time, he doesn't want to give the impression that the Lord was not sufficient for his every need. 
Even though he'd been in a very difficult situation, he references hardship in this passage. He doesn't want the donors to think that he has been discontented before the gift arrived. But he does want them to know that their generosity was truly appreciated. So he combines his thanks with this valuable lesson on the secret for contentment. How does this happen? How does Paul, a prisoner, know the secret of contentment? He came to know that the best things in life are free. He came to know Jesus. You know, as you sit here today, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you really know him? I'm not asking if he's an acquaintance or a friend, but do you really know Jesus? And I think even beyond that, as you sit here today, does Jesus know you? You know, in verse 12b, partway through verse 12, it says, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul understood where true strength comes from. This is huge. And you know, I think, again, in society today, so much of our strength is derived from what we purchase. You know, the neighborhoods that we live in, the cars that we drive, even the emphasis on, you know, I, I, going back to when I first became a Christian, Bruce Teague, one of the things he wrote in my Bible was 1 Timothy 4.8, and that physical training is of some good. And I think, you know, what he was implying is, you know, this is kind of what you've tied yourself up in. This is where you spend a lot of your time, energy, money, supplements, all of that. And, you know, Paul understood the physical needs. The, he knew, he understood physicality. You know, we see the references to a wrestler, to a runner. All those things are good because of the perseverance that's involved to excel in those situations. But how much more does your strength need to come from Christ? You know, the money that today is spent, I mean, there's this new thing, uh, Sterilvite or Verotite or something. Uh, it's this amino acid thing, and it's uh, 100 bucks a month, and it's so like crazy. It, it's just this pursuit of strength and youth and you know, you've got HGH, you've got all these different things that are out there in the world where we go after thinking that those things are going to make us feel better. Those things are going to give us strength. Those things are going to give us whatever it may be we're looking for, self-esteem, acceptance. And really, when it comes to acceptance, this isn't the only individual we need to worry about is whether or not we're acceptable to God based on the way we conduct our lives See, the word content used in Philippians 4 comes from that Greek word that I talked about earlier that the Stoics used. And the Stoic philosophy was marked by detachment of one's emotions and indifference to life. But this is what I love about Paul. We can see in this passage that, again, that contentment comes out of that sufficiency in his relationship with Christ. It comes from the body of Christ. He, 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 wasn't, he wasn't uptight about being vulnerable in that, yes, he had a need, Ultimately, God meets it, but wanting to be able to express that gratitude. And as we go into this time of year with Thanksgiving, let's give pause. Let's take a moment to think about how blessed we really are. It's so easy to get caught up in all the negativity and look to things that we don't have or, you know, or situations or what may be going on in the home front, what may be going on in the workplace. If we're true disciples of Jesus Christ and we're not saved, don't we have the, the excitement of heaven to look forward to? being there with our friends that have been victorious and have stayed in the battle and haven't given in to what Satan whispers in our ear, what the media tells us we need to be or how we need to look or what we should wear or where we go, where we live, any of those things. Paul got it. 
Paul was not detached from people. Paul wasn't detached from his feelings. And I love the fact that he wasn't afraid to, to demonstrate and show that he loved God and he loved those that God put in his life. Verse 13 clearly shows that Paul didn't mean the word in the pagan sense of self-sufficiency. What he does here is he affirms his sufficiency in Christ. And I think even with that too, that contentment doesn't mean complacency. I think a lot of times we can just think, well, you know, yeah, it's, it's cool. And we just disengage. We're not involved with anything. We don't look to Christ and his example. We don't look to Paul and his example and realize that these are ways that we need to conduct ourselves. Here's how we can really have a purpose. Here's how we can really accomplish something. Warren Weisberg adds that the Apostle Paul was a thermostat. Now, what do we use thermostats for? <laughs> somebody said heat, somebody said cool. But ultimately, what does a thermostat do? It's a regulator, right? You know, I, if you're me, in a perfect world, it'd be set at 64, and my life would always be at 64 degrees. I would be very content. I wouldn't need a handkerchief to wipe my brow. Life would be good. Jackie, contentment, and that, that regulator would be set for her probably around somewhere between 74 and 78 degrees. But that's what a thermostat does. A thermostat's a regulator. And this is what uh, Warren has to say about Paul. Instead of having spiritual ups and downs as his situation changed, he went right on steadily doing the work and serving Christ. His personal references at the close of this letter indicate that he was not the victim of circumstances, but rather the victim over circumstances. I love that about Paul. More often than not, I'm a victim of circumstances. I allow my circumstances to dictate how I can respond to a situation. You know, I'm, I'm glad I have guys like Andy Wingy and Henry Kramer in my life that are my thermostat. <laughs> they help me dial it in when I can kind of get out there emotionally, passionately, Italian style, whatever you want to call it. It's not where it needs to be sometimes, and I'm grateful for those men and women in my life that can help me dial it in, but the reality of it is, this is something I need to mature on on my own. This is something I need to work at on my own, just like Paul did, understanding, again, what Christ did for him in this willingness to really engage and continue to grow and mature and have more impact through that. Don't we all want to be victorious in this area? I love this, in, again, in uh, Philippians 4. Philippians 4.11, I can accept all things. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. And I, oh, I always love the progression with Paul. Least of the apostles to the worst of sinners. Closing out, I have all things. This is a man in prison. And it's just awesome to see that this is where he's at, that he doesn't blame God for his situation. It's just, it is what it is. And I'm going to make the best of it because I can accept all things. I can do all things. I have all things. Paul didn't have to be pampered to be content. He found his contentment in the example of the one that saved him, which is Jesus Christ. See, contentment is not the acquiring or getting what we want. It's the appreciation of what we have, amended by what we have in Christ. You know, how about you? How about me? As we're here in attendance in church today, are we content? Are you content? And just really understanding where discontentment goes. It's dangerous. Greed, covetousness, 
It can be a scary thing because before you know it, it can creep up on you, and before you realize it, you're sucked in. Covetousness is a combo of greed and envy. It's this continual desire for more and more and more and more and more and more, often activated by wanting what someone else has. And you know, and this goes back all the way to the beginning of time. In the garden, God gave Adam and Eve all the trees, everything in the garden, but one tree. Everything they had wasn't good enough. And, and, and isn't this where we can go? What, God, you, you want me to be sacrificial in my giving? What, God, you know, the, the Old Testament, they give about 30%. The New Testament doesn't rep, uh, reference tithing specifically. I think you can go to Matthew 23, 23 and get an idea as to what Jesus' perspective is on it. But we're, we're so concerned with mine, 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 and not really being willing to, to step on beyond that. And I know this, is, this, is a, this can be a, you know, again, we need that thermostat, because I know all of us are engaged at some point in time, right? But isn't the thing that's key here being engaged all the time? You know, being able to meet the needs of the poor in our community all the time, not just, you know, seasonally or once in a while or when I've got the extra time, or giving to God. You know, I feel good about the church right now, so I'm going to give. I don't feel good about the church right now, so I'm not. And this is what we do. It's greed. It's covetousness. God had one tree in the garden that he called his. You know, and with covetousness, it comes in a lot of different forms. Holding too tightly to what one already possesses, grasping for more. Covetousness comes with a double warning. It has a stealthy approach. It'll creep up on you. And it has a terrible end. And one doesn't come without the other. I know many of you have seen it. I've seen it time and time and time again in the world and in the kingdom, in the church. In Luke 12, verse 15, Jesus has a warning about it. It says, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And you know, it's interesting, Jesus had more to say about material possessions than any other subject in the Bible. Approximately half of the parables deal with possessions. One of six verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke discuss proper handling of material goods and money. In Matthew 25, verse 27, we see Jesus issue a warning which applies to all of us. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You know, Luke 12, 15, the word greed Sometimes translated covetousness. I know you've heard me say it a couple times, and man, it's one that you've got to work on to get it out of your mouth straight. But it means the lust to have more than one's fair share. A boundless grasping after more. That means living in continual violation of the 10th commandment. And again, as we've stated, it goes all the way back to the beginning. We saw it with Cain and Abel. We saw it with Adam and Eve. Exodus 20, verse 17 says, you must not covet your neighbor's house. But it doesn't end there. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. We look at this sin. It's one of the things that God has gone after most aggressively throughout the Bible. I mean, it made the top 10 list, 10 commandments. 
The book of Proverbs used greeds as the dividing line between righteous and evil people. Proverbs 21 verse 26 says, He is filled with craving all day long, but the righteous give and don't hold back. The apostle Paul repeatedly condemned greed. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual morality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper. For who? Who are we? God's holy people. The Bible's real clear. It's improper. So we've got to be on guard because any of us can go there. Any of us can engage on that level and it can lead any of us away from God. Ephesians 5.3, the Ephesians elders, Paul proclaimed, or actually in Acts 20.33, he says to the Ephesians elders, I have not coveted anyone's silver, gold, or clothing. He admonished the Colossians in Colossians 3.5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You know, we, we think about sexual morality. Does that tend to be one of the harder-hitting sins that we think about? You know, we, we, we go through the study series, we've been through light and darkness. I know it's one that slammed me, but how often do we gloss, we, we hit that one and we gloss right over greed? I mean, isn't this in the same breath? And just really understanding what's going on here, how dangerous this is. Let's take a, look, a little bit closer look at uh, Luke here. We've got this guy that's addressing Jesus in Luke 12, verse 13. You get this wannabe inheritor who is coming after Jesus about his inheritance, material greed. And the Bible's real clear. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is a meaningless. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. Paul says the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. Not money, but the love of. 1 Timothy 6.10. And then he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. We need to guard ourselves against the lust for more and more money, against coveting your neighbor's stuff, whatever it may be, spouse, clothing, house, cars, any of those things. Why? Because we have eyes. And our eyes are never satisfied. They are never satisfied. Something's a little bit shinier, something's a little bit bigger, something's a little bit faster. And we're, we're, we're right there wanting to get in line and trade it on in. It could be family. It could be a spouse. We've got to be careful. Why all the warnings? Because in this life is so incredibly easy, and this is the thing that really came out of 1213 for me here, it's so easy to miss the best thing in life. Not things, but the best thing in life is free. If we aren't careful, we'll miss it, even if it's under our own nose. Luke 12, verse 13. This, this verse blows me away. Verse 12, verse 13, it says, Yo, Jesus, tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. For those of you that aren't familiar with this, this is the ISB translation. It's the Italian Standard Bible. I thought it was cute. Anyway. <laughs> but it, it really amazed me. Jesus is just in the midst of preaching this incredible sermon. And guys, I've glossed over this so many times. I remember what Jesus preached. And then I remember the thing with the guy in the barns that follows it. 
this did not register. I mean, it'd be like one of you right now standing up and interrupting me. Not that I'm anything like Christ, but you know, there's a certain amount of etiquette that's involved in a Sunday service, right? You want a microphone, go out and rent your own facility and have at it. And Jesus is preaching to thousands of people. And this guy's like, Jesus, I want you to make my brother divide my father's estate with me. And we know in the Old Testament, the eldest son gets how much of the estate? Double portion. So maybe that's what he was, he was taking issue with, was that other portion. But whatever it is, he interrupts the Messiah, the Son of God, for this situation. Follow along with me here as we go through what Jesus was preaching in Luke 12, verse 1. It says, meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about, stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to the disciples and he warned them, because of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy, the time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. As you sit here today, would you be ready to have everything that's going on in your life exposed to everybody? There are times I am and there's times I'm not. Verse 4, or verse 3, whatever you've said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you've whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill and to throw you into hell. He's the one to fear. What is the price of five sparrows, two copper coins? Yet God does not forgive a single one of them, and the very hairs on your head are all numbered. With some of us, it's a little bit easier for God to do than others. I grouped myself in there. He's got a lot less to, to deal with today than he did a number of years back. But it says, don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. This is a crazy passage. I mean, 13 verses, it is packed. I mean, we, we could spend weeks just dealing with each verse in this passage. And it's just interesting to me that the, you've got this guy who's in the midst of hearing all this, and Jesus had just gotten through saying, he who acknowledges me before men. I mean, just that connection, understanding who he is, the son of God. And then we got this man that interrupts him. I mean, this was so out of sync and so disruptive in light of what was going on. He didn't ask Jesus for a fair decision to his claim. Not that he should have even interacted with him at that point in time. He could have pulled him aside afterwards. But in the midst of thousands of people, he just demands it. Divide my inheritance with my brother. It's kind of interesting here. Jesus wasn't really fired up about this at all because 
He addressed him as man. It's not the, it's not the case in all of the, the situations there, but friend is a very dry term for someone that you interact with. In some of the translations, it's actually, I mean, the Greek of this would be man. He says man. Who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you? See, Jesus, I love this about Jesus. He wasn't going to be getting sucked into this domestic dispute here. He wasn't interested in playing a divine Judge Wapner or Judge Judy. Jesus continues with a stern warning. He goes right back in and engages. Verse 15, beware. Guard yourself against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. The greedy person lives as if the most important things of life are assured when they have amassed it. Jesus says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Material excess will never make one alive or happy or fulfilled. I've got a story by the name of George W. Truett, a pastor. He was invited to dinner in a home with a very wealthy man in Texas. And after the meal, the host led him to a place where they could get a good view of his surrounding properties. Pointing to the oil wells, punctuating the landscape, he boasted, 25 years ago, I had nothing. Now, as far as you can see, it's all mine. Look in the opposite direction at his sprawling fields of grain. He said, that's all mine. Turning east towards huge herds of cattle, he bragged, they're all mine. Then pointing to the west in a beautiful forest, he exclaimed, that too is all mine. He paused. He expected Dr. Truett to acknowledge and compliment him on his great success. Truett, however, placing one hand on the man's shoulder, and pointing heavenward with the other, simply said, how much do you have in that direction? The man hung his head and confessed, I never thought of that. And I think this is something we've got to ask ourselves this morning as we sit here. How much do we have in this direction? How much of who we are do we invest in this direction? Or is it more about chasing what we have a very limited amount of time to chase, thinking that as we fill up our coffers or whatever it is that we're going after, we'll always have time to figure out when to invest in that direction. You know, teens, this is something you've got you've to understand. You're young, you're vibrant, you're healthy, you're beautiful, you've got all kinds of things going on. Are you investing in that? It doesn't matter who we are in this auditorium. None of us are promised tomorrow. Is this the direction you're looking to? Is this the direction that you're going after? Got another story. It's rather interesting. It's by Leo Tolstoy. Wrote a story about a successful peasant farmer who wasn't satisfied with his lot. He wanted more of everything. One day he received a novel offer. For a thousand rubles, I mean, imagine this. We, we need to put ourselves in this guy's shoes. For a thousand rubles, he could buy all the land he could walk around in a day. The only catch in the deal was that he had to be back at a starting point by sundown. So, you know, say today someone said, okay, you give me 10,000 bucks, you can have as much land as you can walk around from now until sundown, and you have to be right back here. Would we be moving at a pretty good pace? So as early the next morning, he started out walking at a fast pace. By midday, he was very tired, but he kept covering more and more and more ground. Well into the afternoon, he realized that his greed had taken him far from the starting point. 
He quickened his pace, and as the sun began to sink low in the sky, he began to run, knowing that if he did not make it back by sundown, the opportunity to become an even bigger landholder would be lost. As the sun began to sink below the horizon, he came within sight of the finish line. Gasping for breath, his heart pounding, he called upon every bit of strength left in his body. He staggered across the line just before the sun disappeared. He immediately collapsed, blood streaming from his mouth. In a few minutes, he was dead. Afterward, his servant dug a grave. It's not much over six feet long and three feet wide. The title of Leo Tolstoy's story was, How Much Land Does a Man Need? Here's a, here's a sobering thought right here. How much land does a man need? Isn't that where it's all going to end? But there's two different directions that can come from that ending, which ultimately, it's not really an ending. It can be a beginning. And just really realizing what we have at stake here. The thing that's awesome about salvation is that it's paid for. It's free to us. Jesus Christ paid the price. And really understanding that the best thing in this life and for all eternity is free. All Jesus wants is our heart. All Jesus wants is our friendship. And there's a way that we enter into that. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts 2, verse 22. Acts 2, verse 22. It says, men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus was a Nazarene, as it was pointed out to you by God, with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan for knowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him, raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death could not hold him. Verse 36. Therefore let all of the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to him. You know, one of the things I loved about the calling of becoming a disciple at the age of 32 is that God gave me a purpose. God gave me something so much bigger than the things that I thought were big that I was pursuing. And I'm grateful for so many of you in this room. I'm just going to state a few names because these are some of the people that I I've really engaged with relationally through the years, but when it comes to contentment, I love the Kramers. I love the Johnsons. I love the Toomeys. I love the Stebergs. Aaron Young in, in our singles ministry, these are men and women that if they decided just to pursue the secular world, there are so many doors that they could open. There's so much more that they could have. I mean, anyone, where's Calvin at? You in here? You know, Calvin and his Prius. And you know, and it's not like they don't have struggles from time to time. I've talked with all these individuals. They're human. 
But they've been willing to set aside posturing in this world, knowing that the only place their posture matters is with God. And that's, that is so many of you. But we've got to learn how to be content. And that contentment isn't complacency. That contentment is engagement with what God has done before us, what God has done through the apostles, what God's done through the first, second, and third century church, what God calls Christians, disciples, to be and to do. And we've got all we need. Paul throws it out there. Paul wasn't some superhuman. Paul was a guy that had issues, going from killing Christians to whatever his thorn was, appealing to God to take it away, but realizing, you know what? If he doesn't, so what? I accept what I have. I can do all because God strengthens me. And that's what we need to walk out of here today with, not just today, this afternoon, but really hanging on to it throughout the remainder of the, the week, the month, the years that'll come. We don't know how many we've got, but don't we want to be ready when our number comes up? I know for me, I do. I, one, of, one of my biggest challenges at 56 years of age, I feel like there's so much more I could do. But time is limited. If we all took this on, if we all shouldered this, if we all went after it aggressively, how much different would this auditorium look? Are we grateful for what God's done in our lives? We live in a world where people are hurting. It's not to say we don't have people hurting here, but guys, we're in a whole different place than the bulk of society. So I've got a, little, a couple of practicals here that we'll close out with. Just think about this. Buy less and serve more for Christmas. You know, for some of you, it may even mean your own family members. You know, I, I, I've got some dysfunction on my side, and, you know, there are situations I'd rather not put myself into, but I, I really have to think about and pray about, okay, what would Jesus do here? When is my last opportunity to maybe affect a change? And not having to be sitting there thinking, you know, man, I wish I shoulda, coulda, woulda. Number two, holding back on your service, time, giving a commitment. Get back and give back to the one that has withheld absolutely nothing from you. If you haven't been giving, we still have members that don't. If you haven't been giving sacrificially and continually, repent. Talk with someone about it. Have them hold you accountable. Don't cover the things of this life. Invest in that direction. Amen? And these are, all, these are all hard issues. Figure out what's wrong inside. Why do you feel the need to hold back? Why do you feel the need not to engage? And then finally, number three, get friends and family out tonight at the Nativity, December 14th, 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. right here. This is a great opportunity to give someone else a chance at a gift that is free now and for eternity, because the best thing in life is free. God bless.